Woke up quick at about noon. Loved ones, what is good? Welcome into the latest edition of the podcast with Amy Barling here on the Be Heard podcast platform. I'm your host, Damien Barlow, and I am so thankful that you are here, uh, and I'm so thankful that you decided to listen, and I'm so thankful that you didn't unsubscribe after me falling short for the last two weeks. Now, I promise there's a good explanation for that, and I'm going to give it to you. Now, the explanation is going to sound like an excuse, but I promise it's not an excuse. It's an explanation. But first, let me tell you, my man, Kamara Williams is going to join me here in just a heartbeat. Uh, Many of you Patreon subscribers uh, may be familiar with Kamara Williams and some of our past conversations over on the Be Conscious platform. And another note, I, I feel this is necessary to point out, given the timing of this podcast, given you know the fact that we're leading into the election, in all likelihood, the next couple of weeks, the next couple of podcasts, and you know I'm hoping to drop more than one per week uh, leading into the election, they're probably going to be political-based. They're probably going to be, and I don't know if there's really a difference between, I think there's a, there, there is a difference between the podcast and Be Conscious. Like the podcast really centers on sports, but we'll talk about some other issues, right? Like Be Conscious, we really dive into those issues. I think over the course of the next couple of weeks leading into the election, um, we're going to talk probably more about politics. And that's what we're going to do with Kamara when he joins us here. Uh, so that's just a warning. If that doesn't interest you, man, I promise I, I, I completely understand. You know, I'll try to give detailed descriptions of every show every week. So you're kind of aware of what we're talking about. And if that doesn't interest you, you know, my feelings aren't hurt. I completely understand though. I, I feel like if you weren't interested in my political conversations, you probably aren't listening to this podcast. Uh, I don't think my, my ability to talk sports is so overwhelmingly amazing that you willingly ignore all of the disgust that you might have for my political views. Though I know that there are some who don't agree with me who listen to this. I know that there are a handful of people who listen with an open mind. And I know that there are some people who just listen for sports. If you just listen for sports, download the radio.com app. I talk sports 10 hours a week, actually more than 10 hours a week. If you count the pre and post game show, or uh, the San Francisco 49ers. But download the radio.com app, uh, search ESPN 1320, hit the heart, it'll take you to our page, go to the podcast. Podcast feature right there. There's only one, and it's D'Lo and KC. And you can catch up on anything uh, that we did this week. We had a great show today talking about the 49ers and the Rams and all of that good stuff. So if that's 100% of what you're interested in, uh, you can probably get a better feel of that stuff over on uh, radio.com and over on the D'Lo and Casey podcast. Now, I don't want it to make it feel like this this podcast as a whole is going to morph into be conscious. Like, it's not. But for the next few weeks leading into the election, that's going to be the plan. Uh, I think it's important. You guys know how I feel about this election. You know how I feel about voting. Uh, hopefully, you guys are following us on ESPN 1320. Hopefully, you're following us uh, at D'Lo and Casey. You may have noticed uh, the vote like your life dependent, depends on it logo that we've put on all of our social media presentations. Uh, I want to thank my man, Don. Don is dope. The dope ones uh, for that logo. He has given us full permission to use that across all of our platforms. We've got some pretty amazing stuff uh, that I'll be able to uh, talk about next week um, that I just, I I can't wait for you to see. And I can't wait for you to hear. Uh, And speaking of here, uh, the Be Heard podcast platform. Uh, Thank you to everybody who continues to uh, donate 
over on the Patreon page. We're going to create up new avenues for you to donate, which is awesome. Your donations are incredibly helpful because this platform is growing and it is growing quickly. Uh, Morgan Reagan is the most amazing human being on the planet Earth, and she put together this graphic that has all of our podcasts. We've got some new podcasts on there. Hopefully you've noticed. Uh, <laughs> Snack Time with Mac and Ash launched today, if you listen to this on Friday. It launched this week. And it's a fantastic, it is, it, is, it is totally different than anything else that is on our platform. And it speaks to the personalities of Mac and Ashley. Like they have these great, they're best friends. One is like Ashley is like super happy and like super in your face. And like everything is great. Everything is awesome. And then Mac, Mac is like the ultimate chill dude. And these two together create a tremendous conversation. These two together create just a fantastic listen. And they talk to people. They talk to interesting people about their experiences, about life. And it all centers around snacks. And I'll be, I'll be honest. They know this. I have no problem sharing this with you. When they presented the, the idea to me, I was like, okay, I don't get it. So why don't you, as we do with, you know, everybody who joins the platform, put together a podcast, you know, we'll listen to it. We could critique it a little bit, but we can get a feel for what your vision is. And so they sent me the first episode or what has become now the first episode. And I thought, okay, th this is, this is fantastic. This is great. And it's great because of them. And Mac and Ash are two examples along with Sean and Vaughn, uh, along with uh, Don is dope. Like they're great examples of the tremendous talent that are right here like right here in Sacramento. And I hope, you know, in time that we're able to spread outside of Sacramento, I hope that this platform is able to get bigger. And, you know, when Morgan put together that graphic and posted it on social media, I immediately was hit up by a handful of people who have really tremendous ideas for podcast. And so now we're kind of starting that process of getting, you know, the next wave going. And we're excited to bring those to you. Uh, I'm excited to announce the next one to you, which I, I'm, I'm going to be able to talk about next week. Uh, I want to let them announce it first. I think they're going to announce it Wednesday, uh, and then we'll be able to talk about it on Friday. But it's a, it's, it's a big one for us. It's a big one uh, for our Sacramento community. And um, I'm anxious to, to talk about that with you. So uh, thank you to everybody who continues to support on Be Heard. I'm going to set up a Be Heard Venmo account as well, because with Patreon, I don't know that you could do one-time donations with Patreon. So I'm going to set up like a, like a Venmo account that is, you know, it's, 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 it's tax deductible. It's a, it's a donation because, you know, another cool note is Be Heard is now like a nonprofit organization. I think I told you like I was setting that up. Now the setup is complete. Like I've got the paperwork, like it's, it's real. Like we run a nonprofit organization uh, and it's amazing how much Be Heard has grown over the, like its inception, like the idea started in June I know I, I got together with Deuce and Mo, you know, like the middle of June, maybe late June. And then I, you know, I immediately called Kenny Carraway and Jason Jones and got them on board. Don started his podcast. And that was, you know, that's the that's the group that 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 started right there. And so it's cool, man. There's there's some really dope stuff on the way. And I just hope, 
you know, more than anything else that that it's helpful for our community, that it's helpful, helpful for broadcasters. And I hope that it creates content uh, that you enjoy listening to. Uh, Snack Time with Mac and Ash is a fun, it's like just a happy podcast. It's pretty dope. I really think you guys will like it. Uh, I ask you, as I always do, please check it out. Uh, as far as the last two weeks, so two weeks ago, so I was trying to like, I, I know that the Terramana Talks thing went really well. That that seemed to go over huge. And as soon as Kamara Williams comes on in just a heartbeat, I'm going to pour myself a little drink. And we're going to have some conversations. We're going to talk about Ice Cube. We're going to talk about voting. And we're going to talk about a couple of different things that I think are pressing uh, for us to talk about right now. But I was like, God, you can't do that every week. Like, that's something you kind of, it's like a Saturday night's main event. You know, that's a pay-per-view. And then I, and then Friday got here and it was like, dude, I want to drink. Saturday is busy. Dude, let's just do it. Like, let's just make it a thing. Like, we won't call it Terramana Talks. We won't make it a big deal. But maybe that's just what we do on Friday nights. We pour a little drink. We sit down. We talk. We recap the week. We talk about things in sports. We talk about what's on our mind. And we keep it moving. So (laughs) I swear this is what happened. Got the drink. Sat down. It it was a little later than I would have preferred. It was about 530. The day ran very long. As you know, I have a hard stop with work at 430 because I take, take the dogs out. I feed them. Take them for a walk. Come back. So I was getting a later start on the podcast than I had hoped. But I poured the drink, sat down, recorded it. Now, I don't want to be cryptic, but I talked about a handful of things that I, I wouldn't have talked about without Terramana, including new podcasts that everybody has made me aware of. And uh, I, I didn't know how long I was going to go. I was just like, I had a couple of things we're talking about, laid it all out, did it. Like, all right, I've been sitting in this freaking room since like eight o'clock this morning and it's a cool studio, but damn it, I'm tired of being in here. Let me, I'm, I'm just going to take the computer out to the front room. I'll grab my dinner. I'll, I'll, I'll get the podcast right up, uh, posted while I'm sure there was a game on or something while TV's on and, and boom, be ready to go. So the podcast finishes up. I'm pretty pleased with it. And it's like, all right, never, ever, ever have I done this before. Hit stop, good to go, unplug the computer, took the computer to the living room, just a laptop, MacBook, no big deal, took it to the living room, sat it on the couch, got some food together, filled up the water bottle, I had finished my drink, I was good for the night, and I came over to, 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 to wake up the computer, and it's resetting. It's like, oh, shit. Like, okay, it's cool. When it resets with Adobe Audition, what happens is, which is the program that I use to edit the podcast, when it shuts down prematurely, it gives you the option the next time you open it that says, you have a session that shut down abruptly, would you like to restore the session? And that message popped up. I was like, okay, thank God. Click restore. Kind of, you know, get the TV on. I'm letting, you know, letting the computer do its thing. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't restore it just kind of goes to the screen and then i get the you know the rainbow wheel of death it's like okay all right don't panic chill it's all good there's no big deal it's there it's gonna restore just wait it out so i i let it roll i let it roll nothing's happening no problem quit the app restart the computer again 
Open the app. Would you like to restore previous session? Yes. Restore previous session. Rainbow Wheel of Death. And so this time it's like, okay, be patient. It's restoring a near 60-minute audio session. Let it do its thing. Let it there. Kept it awake. Didn't let it fall asleep or anything like that. Kept it awake. And then it just shut down. Program just shut down. Okay. Tried it again. Now I'm getting pissed, of course. Tried it again. Nothing. Tried it again. Nothing. Ran the cleanup program on my computer. Restarted the computer. Opened it again. Nothing. And it wasn't until... I, <laughs> so I was like, forget it. Closed. The, I turned off the computer. Closed it. Plugged it in. Left it. Was like, I'll deal with this in the morning. For some reason in my little pea-sized brain, I believed it just needs to sleep on it. It'll be better in the morning. Next morning, you already know what happened. I never got the session back. It actually wasn't until Sunday that I finally had to make the decision because it says, would you like to restore session? Restore session, or then it says like restore session later or delete. It wasn't until like Sunday that I was finally like, I just delete it. And the session was gone. And I was too pissed. Like, I was like, I'm not going to, like, I can't, I'm not just, it's, it's gone. I'm angry, whatever. I'm going to sulk and mope, mope about it. <laughs> so that's why I missed the first week. And I understand I, I was, I'm trying to give you an explanation. And I realize as I'm saying this, I'm just making excuses. Last week, I was just exhausted. I was supposed to record this. Kamara and I had this set up for last week. It's the same exact time we're recording uh, tonight. I, we had it set up for last week, and the week ran incredibly long. Like, I, I swear to you, I have never worked this much in my entire life. The week ran long, and I text Kamara at, like, like two or, like, bruh, like, can we, can we rain check, like, a couple of days? It's like, yeah, dude, no problem. And so my intention was to do it Monday, but I never sent the text so it became like, all right, let's do it to, again. By Tuesday, it was like, all right, let's just schedule it for Friday. And that's where we are. So thank you for sticking with me. Again, my sincerest apologies for uh, being lazy the last two weeks. It won't happen again. Uh, I don't know when you're listening to this. But if you're listening to this on Friday, grab your little drink. Uh, we're about to dive into some topics with my man Kamara Williams. Again, uh, if you've been with us on Be Conscious, you know that Kamara and I have discussed politics before. I think he last joined me when Kamala Harris uh, was named the vice presidential candidate with Joe Biden. He is uh, very politically astute and savvy, and we decided, you know, now's a good time. Like, I've actually talked to him about joining the platform, maybe putting together a podcast of his own, and uh, he's got a tremendous following, particularly on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, he's one of the smartest guys I know. He's an attorney in Orlando. He used to live here in Sacramento. And uh, I did a I did a show with um, his brother on Instagram Live. I did a show with his twin brother on Instagram Live uh, a couple of weeks ago also. So uh, I'm excited to bring Kamara in here. And uh, Kamara, we've got to open it up. Do well, First of all, let's get our drink going here. Let's get a little little Terramana here. Uh, we've got to open it up and talk about what the hell is going on with Ice Cube. Um, disappointment. 
and for those like for those who aren't aware uh who what was it it was tr- it was one of trump's like campaign like administrators uh sent out a tweet that says thanks for ice cube thanks to ice cube for helping us out on the platinum plan and it was kind of looked at like oh all right cube is working with the trump administration like that's an odd twist of events it was it was a lot right so let's like we got a there's like it was like multifaceted three weeks ago Trump announces this thing in Atlanta called the Platinum Plan. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's interesting, you know, it's this big announcement and it's pretty much a, like a brochure, right? It's not anything substantive, um, but it's, it has a big number of $500 billion going to be given to the Black community, right? right? And it's much ado, right? And But you can tell it's, it's not worth anything because it's like cotton candy. Anybody who's been to the California State Fair or any fair, cotton candy, it's it dissolves very quickly. Mm-hmm. Did you hear anything else after that big Atlanta announcement? You know why it was done in Atlanta? You know why it was called platinum? It was to appeal to black voters, right? Right. And specifically to black men. It wasn't done to bring in black women voters because they know that's a lost cause at this point. Mm-hmm. So they're targeting specifically black men and black men's um, willingness to ignore certain things from administration if there's a transactional benefit, um, financial, right? Because and they thought for years that they can do that, right? Like the GOP right. has thought for or the Trump administration specifically has thought for years that they could appeal to black men. Right. Um, the Democratic Party has been slowly losing black male voters mm-hmm. and it's going to continue to increase and there's probably we could probably spend an entire podcast on why that is right um just multitude of factors it's it's immigration appeal it's um lack of representation they feel like it's uh it, it, i mean it's just it's a very complicated textual conversation that probably can't be answered in just a five minute segment Right. Um, but yeah, so he did the Trump the the platinum plan. First of all, it's really disrespectful to t- use a quote unquote policy. I and mean, I, I use policy the word policy very loosely because there was no policy substantive in that two two page brochure. But it's really disrespectful to use something called the pat the platinum plan and designated towards the black people. It's like if you're doing something towards the for Latin immigration, we're going to call the Aztec <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like, what yeah. are you, like, well, come on, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. It, you know, it, we're calling it called the salsa plant. You know what I mean? Like, what the merengue plan. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's dog whistling, but that's what the administration does. Right. It, but it's just, it's so degrading. Mm-hmm. Right. But okay. Um, but let's not get into semantics. Right. Then we, then, um, well, people don't realize that Ice Cube for the last several months has been doing these little things on Twitter. I, you know, talking about, yeah. you know, Not we can't get, we can't give them our vote, you know, until we, until they come to a plan with us and they, you know, they got to do a contract with Black America. I'm tired of giving the Democrats our vote. And it's kind of like, it's like eyebrow raising stuff. And if you're paying attention, you're like, all right, that's a bit interesting in an election season, but okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't just, I, I, we can talk about, 
Ice Cube's position. I want to get into that, actually. I want to get into the position of, like, his position, but I would refer to getting into the background, right? Um, so he has this, he has this thing where he's talking about, we don't want to give up the vote. And it comes into like 48 hours ago where somebody on the campaign says, oh, you know, thank congratulations to Ice Cube for working with the Trump campaign for the platinum plan. And then it's like, it was just this news drop, right? And we're like, what is going on? So Ice Cube is, is working with the Trump campaign. Then he does this seven and a half minute video Cube, just meandering about what his purpose is. First of all, he looks terrible in the video. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm being, I'm being, you know, a little bit. Um, I guess we're, we're just kind. I'm. I just thought somebody who was going to present themselves to the world about mm -hmm. this. He looks. He looked like he hadn't put no lotion on his face. I know we're being, <laughs> but you know what I mean. He looked like. You know, say black people, we know. He looks like COVID has hit him hard, is what you're saying. Right. I don't know what's going on. Like he didn't like put no, he didn't put no Jurgens on the face. Like let me just kind of cocoa butter. Let me just kind of get it together because I'm about to go on the screen. He looked like he looked ashy mm -hmm. on that. Thing, right. But I know we're being superficial, right? So then he goes, he goes and starts this meandering thing about uh, why he did what he did. And Damon, you're in radio, you're in podcast, you're in media. Seven and a half minutes is a long time. Mm -hmm. Airtime, right? Yep. It's a long time. And if I would, you know, I've done some small segments of TV, 30 seconds, they give you 30 seconds, they give you a minute, you got to get it out, your thoughts. Mm -hmm. If you can't talk, explain yourself in seven and a half minutes, yeah. there's something wrong. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something wrong. Like if you can't, you're on radio. If you said if you're trying to make a point about something, and you can't make your point in three minutes, four minutes, you've gone off base, mm -hmm. right? So he goes seven and a half minutes, and it doesn't really answer any questions. Then he goes, and he could, he does he does substantive tweets. Can't explain himself in his tweets. Yeah. Then he does print media <laughs> right i'm gonna Try get to, my point across somewhere i gotta get my point i'm trying to explain myself mm -hmm. what's going on it's it's not working yeah so then he goes at least he does he goes to a black journal he then he goes to roland martin mm -hmm. and he does a 25 and a half minute interview <sighs> and dog dog yeah, yeah. That's when I was like through. I was like, okay. So <laughs> let me, I genuinely, like. so let's let's make this. I think his heart is in the right place. I think he, oh, I we, think. We can peel into that. We can peel into that. We can peel into okay, that. Okay, I think that he actually, he believes that he's accomplishing something. So the contract with Black America is this, you know, this document that he put together and it's, you know, it, I don't know how it's like a page long, a couple of pages long where he talks about, you know, reparations. He talks about, uh, you know, home loans for, you know, for black families, uh, like one like one time loans or something like that. Uh, he talks about better resources and education. It's all very good stuff. Like there's there's nothing in his, you know, what he calls the contract with black America. There's nothing wrong with it. No, no. but the thing is, you know, when you. <laughs> And again, it's why I believe his heart is in the right place. 
fam, like you're a rapper. Like you don't think policymakers have attempted this before. You don't like, you don't think that like people of like influence have like attempted to do the things that you're doing before. So uh, again, you don't knock it. Like I, I admire him for trying. I admire him for putting that together, but where he loses me is you didn't recognize that. What are we 17 days, 18 days before the election? You didn't recognize what time it was. Like you didn't recognize what the Trump administration was doing. Like you didn't recognize that they saw the ability. Hey, let, let's go to Ice Cube. Hey, if we can say Ice Cube's name publicly, you know, maybe we could get that black voter that we've been trying to steal from the Democrat Democrats. Maybe this will worked. help sway them a little bit. And it worked. Could I actually? So I call it the barbershop thing. It's the barbershop thing. I, and I, I know I'm balding, but I still go to the barbershop once a week, not because I can't cut my own hair, but I do it for a simple fact of it allows me to interact with a large swath of black men who I wouldn't normally be in the company with throughout my regular structure. I, you hear my kids in the background. Mm-hmm. I'm a family man. I don't go nowhere. Right. But I work, you know, and I'm and around, around work. I'm just around, um, you know, I'm around people who don't come from my background. They don't look mm-hmm. like me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know you said his heart's in the right place, but I question that. Okay. Because if your heart's in the right place, you operate with an, a sense of intentionality. And your intentionality starts with, all right, I don't have the brains or the experience to do this. But there's somebody out there that does. I have the platform, though. I have the platform. I have this great idea. I have this great idea, but I don't, I don't, I've never operated on this level before. I don't need to think about governance. I don't need to think about economic government governance. Mm-hmm. I don't need to think about policy. So group economics, I don't know anything about that. So how about I get econ- black economists, black developers, black people help me, black um people in 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 uh, uh, who used to work in the field of government, right? And help me put together something substantive. So when I approach people, I'm not going out there looking like I'm just a rapper with a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What it, sp- it struck to me as somebody with a sense of hubris about who he was and what he was doing, but it's like, he didn't really think it through. And that's the part that's most disappointing because I, someone like Ice Cube has been in the business, he's been in the music business, been in the film business for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. He's in rooms that you and I will never be in. Mm-hmm. He's worth 160 million dog. Network, that's what the la- they said he's worth 160 million. Not only he's not only in the 0.01% of America, in black America, I don't even know where he, he's at a very s- small scintilla yeah. of representation. His network, his experiences should tell him that he's operating in a realm where there are people who don't look like him. He, de- he dealt with people who are snakes in that business. He dealt with people who are, you know, have ulterior motives in that business. He's not a rookie. He's not some Johnny come lately, right? So, and if he knows that, 
then he knows like, okay, I can't just go into an arena that I have no experience in and go in there and, and, and just fly off the handle. I'm going to go into a, I'm gonna, if I'm going to go into a boardroom, try to meet with MGM about a movie, I'm going in with my lawyers. He knows that. Right. Yeah. Yes, he does. So he knows that. So he's not, so if he knows he's not going to negotiate a contract without his lawyers, why would you do a contract with quote unquote black America? It's an important issue, a magnanimous issue, something that's too big to even encompass within one one page document. Why would you approach that with something as serious with campaign, with the campaign and policy? That and that to me speaks the lack of intention. So I okay, I, I understand what you're saying, and you know, policy is a is a, is a keyword here. Like, like Cube, like you've done a lot in your lifetime that many of us, including me, admire. Mm-hmm. And but one of them is is not making policy, right? But in the effort, and I'm trying to be careful with this because I don't want to sound like I'm defending him, but I guess in a, in a, in a certain way that I, I, I guess in a certain way I am with the contract with Black America, I feel like what he's trying to do is he's trying to go back to those NWA roots where he's trying to go back to saying, yo, we, you know, much like we said, we don't trust Jerry Heller. We don't trust record labels. We don't trust this. We don't trust that. I feel like, you know, when George Floyd's death hit and this started coming together for him and he kind of reverted back to that, fuck the police ice cube that he started to, okay, you know what? We haven't been able to rely on politicians for the last, you know, you, you talked about the Roland Martin interview. He brought up the amount of black politicians that he, he, he brought up the amount of elected black officials since, you know, the sixties or seventies or whatever it was and talk about, you know, over 7,000, you know, black people have been elected and nobody's been able to get anything done. If I'm attempting to defend what ice cube did without any policymakers, without any politicians involved, I would say he was doing it because he didn't feel like uh, any of them really had the, quote, interest of Black America really at heart. Okay, so to that point, right? Fair points about Black leadership or Black representation in leadership does not necessarily mean Black movement. Mm-hmm. And we've had, we've had to understand that i think we our biggest learn learned lesson with that was obama right of course. right we had someone who was at the highest levels of power but black movement didn't really climb in his eight years right some might even say it stagnated some even say it dipped those are arguments mm-hmm. I don't know. but my statement wasn't about him involving politicians my statement was about involving people who know what they're doing with what he's trying to encompass. It could be people who have worked with politicians, people who worked in like former staffers of congressional budgets, right? I didn't say politicians, someone who worked in worked with congressional budget. He had a platform and reach of like, hey, who's the person who work with the senator or are they working right now? Do they have a job? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. Can I at least talk with them? I'll fly them out. Let's talk with them and see. Wh- tell me how this works, budgeting in the government. Or, like, how would that work? Can we get something? Can we get? St- why hasn't this been incorporating stimulus package? But tell me, like, these are things he has access to, right? I agree that his approach you know, is trying to skip over the middleman, sort of skip over the politics. 
But the timing of it is what makes me really like the intentionality. Because you look back with the Roland Martin interview. Roland, because I thought about this before, and I'm glad Roland said this. So why did, where were you during the primaries? Oh, I was making music, you know, focusing mm-hmm. on me, mm-hmm. doing the thing, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, mm-hmm. was, you know, well, I was, a, that was an eye rolling moment. I'm like, okay. So during the primaries, eight months ago, nine months ago, you weren't even thinking about this stuff. Then after the primaries, all of a sudden you had the ding idea, like I want to make sure I want to do something contract with Black America. They have this thing called a political silly season, right? And the political silly season is when politicians are all sorts of things are gonna come out. Politicians are gonna make statements just to garner votes. I'm, I'm just gonna tell I wanna I wanna get you to vote for me. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna build a wall because and Mexico's gonna pay for it. It's silly, but everybody's gonna, you know, uh, uh, everybody's gonna is going to um, vote for me because it's what people want to hear. It's a populist message, right? Uh, uh, chick- uh, Hoover had this statement back in the 20s, 30s uh, of chicken pot in every pot, a uh, chicken in every pot, mm-hmm. right? It's statements like you can't guarantee these things, but these are politically silly guarantees, right? Ice Cube wants to negotiate, think about this, a contract of Black America with two campaigns during the political silly season. (laughs) That is why you don't operate in a place when you have no experience in, because anybody with some governance be like, all right, Cuba, this is a great idea, but this may not be the best time to negotiate. And Cuba is someone who understands negotiation because he's been in business for 30 plus years. So he knows you got to strike where the iron's hot with the right time timing. This ain't the time. You got people who are trying to run for the highest office in the world with a very important election. You got one who's a charlatan who will tell you anything you want to hear, and which is, which is exactly what they did, right? Because Cube said on his seven-minute meandering video, he said, listen, I went to the Biden campaign. They were cool, you know, very nice. You know, they said to get back to me after the election. I went to the Trump campaign with my idea, and two weeks later, they put five hundred billion on the table. Damn. Right? <laughs> That's what his, that was his words, right? That was that was his words. So think about think about what he just said. He just admitted, and he didn't even realize what he just admitted. Yeah. The Biden campaign said, and he admitted this in the, he expanded upon this in the Roland Martin interview. They liked it. They listened. They looked at it. They said, "We liked eighty percent of it, but let's readdress. Let's address this after the election." Right. Trump said, "Not even Trump. Somebody's campaign." We're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Oh, you want to? That's what you want to do? All right, we'll get back to it. cool. Two weeks later, five hundred billion dollars. It is like <laughs> they could have said a trillion dollars. Like it wouldn't have fucking mattered. Like this is. Yeah. You and I know this isn't going anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. Like you had three and a half, like, like, and that's, and this, and this is where, this is where, this is the thing that bothers me because I refuse to believe that Ice Cube is a stupid person. And you talked about, you know, the primaries and the post primaries and all of that different stuff. I was out making music and doing all this. The fact is, you know, I think in, in, in civil rights history, there's, there's a, there's a, a pre Emmett Till era and there's a post Emmett Till era. 
and people may not equate all of those things, but a lot of what happened in the sixties was that's the post Emmett Till era. And a lot of it was, it, it, it was done off of, of, of the body of Emmett Till. Like it, 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 like so much was done after that incident. Yeah. And there's, you know, history, you know, time will tell, but there's a pre George Floyd and the post George Floyd. And there certainly is in terms of the black lives matter movement, despite the fact that the black lives matter movement started years ago with Trayvon Martin, you know, w- we have this, you know, post Oscar, post, Grant. Oscar huh? Grant or Oscar Grant. Yeah. I mean, like you, you, there's, there's so many different things you can point to, but with George Floyd, it seemed to, and you know, people have had their theories about COVID. They have their, their theories about home isolation, all of these different things about why that, the, the, the eight minutes and 46 seconds about why that moment resonated so much, why it resonated so much more than all of the other videos that are out there that are readily available. And so I don't fault him for that because I think people's, and even black people, like it's not exclusive to white people. It's not exclusive to Amazon. It's not exclusive to all of these businesses who's all of a sudden who jumped on the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, I think there are black people who were the same way. And I think Ice Cube was one of them. Ice Cube was one of the originators of, you know, fuck the system. We're right. going to do things our way. And then in, 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 I think he may have admitted as much as, and, and maybe it wasn't him. It might have been LL Cool J, where once you get a certain amount of money, you can't rap as angry as you used to. You don't have as many things to be mad about. Right. And he went back into that fuck the system movement after George Floyd's death. And instead of making a record about it, well, actually, in addition to making a record about it, he did this. And so I, like, I'm not going to fault him for not being around for the primaries and not being around for that stuff. But what killed me about the Roland Martin interview and what's killed me about his tweets and what's killed me about all of the stuff that he's doing to defend it is he's using the Donald Trump line of playing both sides. He's saying, well, I presented it to both sides. It's, it's the equivalent of there's very fine human beings on both sides. Like, okay, like, bruh, the, what, what do you want Joe Biden to do if he's the senator of Delaware? Like, what do you want Kamala, Kamala Harris to do if she's the senator of California? Like, you, you, you have nothing here. Like, you don't really have anything here. You don't, so have anything, yeah. you don't have anything with the Democrats. You don't have anything with that ticket unless they get elected. So, they put together, they being the Biden-Harris camp, put together, you know, I think it was like a 22-page document. Yeah, every voice and sing, yeah. And God bless them, like, I'm, you know, it's I'm supporting them, you're supporting them, everybody should be supporting them, because really, whether you like them or not, it's anybody but Trump. It doesn't matter if you like Biden or not. It doesn't matter if you like Kamala Harris or not. It's anybody but Trump. That's the way that this has to work. Okay. And so, do you disagree? No, I agree. Okay, so if, if so... With that, it's like, okay, like, let's get this done. Let's focus on our, let's, let's focus on getting them elected. And then let's move forward from there. But the lift every voice and sing or whatever that awful campaign is, that ain't going anywhere either. Well, here's the thing about that. I actually read the 22 page thing. Let me back up. When I first heard about it, I said, all right, let's, you know, he really, (laughs) so Biden actually had this thing, this, thing prior in the primaries and it was named something else and i gotta recall it but they changed the name because nobody it wasn't tracking right so they changed the name on the on the package and it's the same thing they did put lift the voice and sing but i read it first of all when i first read i was expecting like a platinum plan type of thing two pages right and i was reading it i was like shit this is a lot 
I was like, this is actually pretty substance. This is actually pretty good. I didn't mm-hmm. say it's perfect, but mm-hmm. this is actually pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't just something that was thrown in, thrown together. It was some thought which I don't agree with everything in it, but I was I appreciated the intentionality of the document because it shows that at least it, they were trying to put something that was substantive. It talked about how things were going to be instituted, what we need to do, where those programs are going to come from, why they're important. It's, it, it was very, it was a, as comprehensive as you could put together for a policy and a vision for Black America. I appreciated that. I didn't, it could, for me, the, doc, the document could be 100 pages because that's how much stuff we would need. But I appreciated that it wasn't some something that seemingly was just thrown together, mm-hmm. right? What I would say is, and I've heard this argument, and I know Cube mentioned it, and just the barbershop conversation. Oh man, Democrats ain't going to go follow through with it. My argument is that it's not their job to follow through with it. It's our job to make them follow through with it. That is what. That is what being a constituency is about. We elect people, we get excited about electing people in the office. And I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Think about with Obama. We elected Obama in 2008, re-elected him in 2012. Then, and then you started hearing things, the little choir cries like, he ain't really doing nothing for black America. And in the statement is like, well dog, what have we put together as a package what have we presented to him and forced him to address with our votes? Say, you got us these votes. I mean, we got you these votes. We got you in office. Now address the things that in this 100 page document that 100 black leaders have put together that are comprehensive. Explain to us why this can't be done. When we're, whether you're in local office, like right now I'm, I'm, I'm involved with a number of different local races. I realize I just can't be putting people in office and then like, all right, congratulations, you're in office. And then four years later, like, what, ha- like, what happened? Why come you didn't do the thing? I wasn't, I wasn't there with you in the beginning when you were running your office. I didn't make sure, I didn't keep my hand on the wheel when you're, when you're um, del- you know, involved in governance. That same way of thinking needs to extrapolate into the national level not just in the state level. We just can't press our state representatives and our state senators, which we don't do anyway, right? We don't hold them accountable. But we also have to press someone like Biden. It's like, all right, Biden, we're going to get you an office. We're going to get you an office. We're going to get your old decrepit ass in that presidential seat to get you number 46. But here's the exchange. In exchange for getting us, getting you into that office, you're going to remember, and we're going to constantly remind you what, who, not only who we are, but what we want. And if you don't start, and if you don't, and this is the Democratic Party, if you don't adhere to the things we're requesting, this is going to be a short-lived season for you. So let's, like, let's go a little bit further on that, because... I, I want you to elaborate on what you just said, because you talk about being a short lived season, like what four years now, no president. Like I've always said, 
not getting elected when you run for president, that's not humiliating. It's like people don't know what they don't know. Like if you right. don't get elected, if you run for president and you don't get elected, like, I, I mean, with the exception of perhaps Hillary Clinton, I don't think any, you know, what Mitt Romney did, that's not humiliating. Like he didn't get elected. What John Kerry did, that's not humiliating. He didn't get elected. But for a one-term president, that means we saw you and we were like, nah. We're like, no. We're good. Like, we don't want four more years of this. So there's right. nothing more humiliating for a president than to be a one-term president. Right. But four years is still a long time. Are, are you are you saying with that, like, we're going to hold you accountable? Like, we're going to hold you accountable. We're going to push this. We're going to push that. But if you don't do what we what you promised, you know, when we got you here, we're not going to reelect you in you know, three and a half years or three years or two and a half years or two years or whatever it may be? Yes. Mm. I think that's that's the conversation we have. The, the conversation we have is we're, you don't get to just be in office and not adhere to the wishes of the people that put you in office. Like, that's not how we're, at least you, at the very least, there needs to be some movement on the thing that we're requesting. I understand, but that's such a long play battle. Because yes. if you're if you if you're playing that battle three and if you're playing that battle you know uh, 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 half a year into the presidency, you're running that for the next three and a half years, and then you know a ha- <laughs> what did you just call it political silly season? Oh, it's gonna let's go back to the table here, Kamara, because we've got to talk about you know we've got to talk about you know uh, the economic advancement for black people. Well, no, here's the thing: politics is a is a Four year, I'll say, let's put it like this. In two years, let's say Biden gets in, right? In two years, it's going to be election season again. And Congress is going to, certain certain members of Congress and certain members of the Senate are going to be up for re-election. And then, of course, Biden's going to want to, assuming Biden gets in, and I'm actually making a prediction, it's going to to be 1980s. It's going to be the inverse 1980s again. Um, I'll explain that later. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you. Go ahead. Um, so let's say in two years, certain members of Congress, certain members of the Senate are going to be up for re-election. Biden's going to be getting, have to get back in that campaign mode, just like Obama was when he was in, in 2010. And we're going to have to make sure we're going to say, all right, in that year and a half, what were your, what was your focus in office? What did you do? Did you all of a sudden forget to talk about or bring about or even push certain things in the black agenda? We know you can't, we're not expecting to get everything done in those one in that one and a half, two years. But what was actually proposed? What was actually done? And that goes to members of the Senate as well, right? That goes to members of the of, of Congress, which I think the Senate is actually more important than the presidency, to be honest with you. And everything. The Senate yeah. is way more important. Sure. Um, because everything goes through them. Everything goes through the Senate, as far as policy making and as far as governance, right? Um, and structure of the country and everything. We can still hold it. We can hold him accountable because election season happens every two years in a season in his in this country, and accountability is reminding them that you're not. You're not owed our allegiance. It's earned. And earning that allegiance, continued allegiance, 
is reminding you of what you proposed to us back in 2020 when you gave us a lift and lift every voice and sing 22 page document. And now I'm going through this 22 page and I don't see a single thing that you did. I don't even see, I haven't even seen you mention it. Yeah. That's a reminder he's going to have to live with and make no mistake about it. That is going to be brought up incessantly. I, that's great. You want to appoint a black woman Supreme Court justice. I feel like Obama, Obama would have done that instead of Merrick Garland, we would have been, we wouldn't be in this situation, but that's another conversation another day. That's fine. But I loved last night when he said something, Biden said something very interesting. This, this young black man said, you know, how can I survive in this country that I feel like, how can I survive in this type of country that I feel like the system is geared against me? And Biden said, you know, we can get into criminal justice and I'm tired of, of talking about that. But he said, the number one thing I think we have to do in order to really create equality within um, black America is we have to um, economic empowerment. Being economically strong within that community is gonna alleviate a lot of the issues of inequality in this country. And we have to focus in on that. And that is very true. We have to balance the field in whatever way, whatever, any way, shape or form in trying to make sure in the inequality, economic inequality is not gonna to continue to widen within the black community, right? That is something that I, and, I, and the fact he mentioned that, and I hope he continues that same energy, that is something that would be substantive and be great to hang his hat on as a president. Um, and that's what we have to hold him accountable for. You're not gonna get rid of racism. Hmm. You're not gonna get rid of entire inequality. You're not gonna get rid of um, in an ineffective criminal justice system. But you can make some dents in certain places by creating a, a strategy, a platform for everybody to benefit from. Mm -hmm. especially in economics, schooling. All, everybody wants school, decent schools for the kids. Everybody wants to be, have, have the same opportunities for, econ for um, economic advancement. Everybody wants to be able to afford a home and be able to stay in that home. Everybody, everybody wants to be able to, to have a job, right? Small businesses want to be able to have access to funding and not just be, not based on who we know, or, but also but what we know. You so know, these, things, these things are important. You said a couple of things there. The 1980s, you were talking about the 1980s. Right. Um, so I have this theory and I'm, I'll, I'll probably write about it or post about it tomorrow. You know, my long Facebook post. <laughs> um, I believe this. That's election why we need to get you on the podcast, man. That's why we need, we, we, we need to get you on the, the be her platform. The uh, appreciate it. Um, the 1980, it reminds me of the 1980 election a lot, but in the inverse. So if you remember in 1979, um, Jimmy Carter was a uncharacteristically unpopular president. Uh, pre -pre he was after Gerald Ford, right? And um, around Jimmy Carter, they had the Iran um, hostage, deba hostage debacle. Mm -hmm had the OPEC oil crisis where people were, um, cars were waiting for hours to get, uh, to get gas, right? You had the economy contract 
but they were in they were in a recession. You had a uh, the, the people don't remember this, but they actually boycotted the Olympics, mm-hmm. USSR. Mm-hmm. Like, so, and you just had a president who, on the international level and the domestic, was was considered feckless on the international level, and considered a uh, you know just in totally incapable of leadership on a domestic level. No respect. He was pulling in the 40s. At this point, the country was generally a middle, they were gearing, they were going towards a centered country. Even some of you say center left because they were just coming off of the 60s, 70s where a lot of civil rights were being instituted. Even in LGBTQ, you know, um, uh, rights were incorporated in this time period, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, uh, Chavez, the Chavez, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the demonstrations in uh, as far as Mexican American rights. Everything, every America was finally coming to the grips of we gotta do what's right for people. The other parts of this country, not just the white white people. So it was a center middle of the road country, but it's every polling in the forties, um, international lack of international standing, lack of domestic leadership, um, low, the, the, the general tenor of the country being down low. He went into that 80, 1980s convention, democratic convention and Teddy Roosevelt, not to, uh, Teddy Kennedy, rather, I keep saying Roosevelt, Teddy Kennedy made a run for the presidency mm-hmm. with the sitting president. Mm-hmm. And it was a contentious democratic convention. Think about that. Think about yeah. making run for a president. And then to the point where Teddy Kennedy conceded, he's like, I'm you conceded at the democratic convention. Didn't want to shake Jimmy Carter's hand or give him the endorsement. Mm-hmm. He just walked out the convention, never gave Jimmy Carter endorsement. See, now you had a broken party. Keep that in mind. So now you got a broken party polling in the 40s international feckless uh inter- lack of international standing domestic lack of domestic leadership and overall tenor of the country five things right 1980 election comes in you got this guy this governor in california the jimmy carter campaign knew they had to characterize this man as a right-wing hard-fisted e- extremist it's not like in a 24 hour news cycle today where people kind of knew who the governor, like I know who the governor of Maryland is. I know who the governor of Michigan is. And, you know, I know people know who the governor of California is, you know, based on the 24 hour news cycle that is cable news. Sure. People don't really know people in Wisconsin never really know um, Reagan. Right. People in Florida didn't really know Reagan. They just knew he was a C-list actor who had won governorship in California. They didn't really know anything. So the Carter campaign tried to characterize him as this particular individual. They get into the 1980 debate. Um, and they were trying to scare people into what he was. They get to the 1980 debate, and Carter is the only debate for that year. And Carter completely obliviates the uh, characterization that was laid out from him. Right? He says things like a hopeful America. He gives, he, he gives a vision for America of, you know, the shining city on the hill, mm-hmm. 
right? Those are, remember, he said, he said these words, a shining city on it. America was once, once the shining city on the hill. What does that mean? But I don't know, but it evokes a great memory of what America, and then his campaign was make America great again. <laughs> that, was, that was literally a campaign message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, it, Donald Trump stole that, mm-hmm. among other things he's stolen. But, um, so, and then Reagan says something that is the atomic boom at that debate that really destroyed the Reagan, I mean, destroyed the Carter presidency. He says, he looks in the camera and he says, Americans, are you better now than you were four years ago? And a lot of Americans sat back in the chair and they're like, damn, I'm not. I'm gonna give this guy a chance. So he complete, completely destroys Carter's characterization. Not only does that, but he gives America a hopeful viewpoint of what they can be. Mm-hmm. The election is so bad, he carries the entire Republican ticket nationally, right? Where the entire, at that point, that election actually changed a generation where you have people who were Carter Democrats turn into what? You've heard of this term, Reagan Republicans. Mm-hmm right? They weren't Republicans before Reagan, but they became Republicans that election. And he carried the entire ticket and he, he won state houses, legislatures, the U.S. Senate and the Congress. And he enjoyed an eight year leadership, right? So I made, so that, that was 1980. How do I tie this into 2020? Lack of international standing, you know, lack of domestic leadership. Mm-hmm. Recession. Polling in the forties. <laughs> Polling in the forties. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and you have a general tenor of the country is just unhappy. Mm-hmm. You have the sitting president char- trying to characterize the person who's challenging him as this extremist. Mm-hmm. The person goes and he shows America, I'm not as extreme as this guy's trying to characterize. So now the president looks like he lacks character, among other things, right? And then you have a broken party. I just gave you eight for eight things, why those things match up, right? And then you have, and then Trump has something else that's working against him as well. General dislike of who he is. So I anticipate, I look at the numbers and I'm like, Jesus, this reminds me just of 1980. Oh, you know my favorite part of that one, that same thing? My favorite part. You know when the first, that first debate, what city that happened in? Was that Cleveland? Where was it? Cleveland, Cleveland, the Mayo Clinic in Cleveland. You know where that first debate that Biden and Trump had in in three weeks ago? Cleveland. Cleveland, the Mayo Clinic. It's like the same thing. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm looking at it like this is really eerie. It's Mm -hmm. really eerie. He's got, if Trump wins this election, he's done it with an impossibility that I don't think anybody's ever seen. His party's broken. You got senators coming out and talking about Mm -hmm. this guy. You know, you got people in his, people in his administration talking like he's an idiot that just came out today his former chief of staff, you have 
um, the general tenor of the country who cannot stand him and hate his guts, literally hate his guts. And then you have this thing where there's not a third party candidate, a real third party candidate. And sure. Biden, for what it was worth, he's not as hated as Hillary. Yeah. So I look at these things and I could be, I can, you know what, you can, in three weeks, you might be like, Kamar, you were crazy. You had me believing that Biden was going to win. But I, I don't even, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. I really do think it's not going to be close. Really? Oh. I don't, I know, no, and I'll tell you so, why. So I, it's full disclosure. I, I had ideas for where I wanted this podcast to go. It was going in a di- completely different direction. So you're going to have to mark some time off over the course of the next 18 days so we could talk about some of these other topics. Because I've got PTSD from 2016. Like, right. I'm, afraid to, I'm afraid to buy into what you're saying. I'm not talking about the pollings. I am not talking about polling. And I don't believe the polls generally. I don't believe. I, I go by gut feeling. And I go back from what I see. When Hillary was in 2016, I saw the polling, but my gut and what I saw didn't resonate with the polling. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that. I don't. I didn't get feeling. I didn't feel that Hillary was going to win. Mm-hmm. Three weeks out from election, a month out, a month or so, I was like, "Oh, she's about to lose." I'll give an example. I was in a this thing called the. It's, it's, the gymnasium, it was a gymnasium in the black community. It's called the C.R. Smith Center. Hillary was having an event there. And it's literally a gymnasium. And I get there, you know, and you, you go to these, they invite you to these things so you can sit up front and you can have good pictures. I get there, I drive up, and I'm like, all right, it's a line. It's not a really big line. Maybe I'm early. I don't know. They told me to get there at one o'clock. I don't know, you know? Usually when you go to these rallies, you can't, you have to park, find parking way far and walk up. Because the line is crazy. Car, no parking. Drive up. I've got great parking. That's interesting. Get up to, walk up to the building. The line's, the line's not long. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. They tell me 1 o'clock, but it's not going to start till like 3. I'm not staying here no damn 3 o'clock. I'm not staying there two hours wait for Hillary to speak. This is stupid. Mm-hmm. I get inside. Like, yo, man, what's, what's this rally not going to start for another two hours? Like, no, it's going to start like in 30 minutes. 30 minutes, mm. right? I looked around, dog, she couldn't fill up half a gymnasium of people. Mm. It was October. The most astute political people I know, you're one, our, our, our friend who I've referenced on the show before, Io, is another. I, you both thought Hillary was going to lose. Yeah. It was the people who were, you know, watching pollings and, 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 and just kind of general tone or 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 general disbelief like there's no way this guy's going to get elected are the ones who thought that hillary was going to win well because people put their stock in it's like weird it's like when you get to a certain level like of politics you start you don't have your hand on the ground anymore right um you're in sacramento Right, let's say you move to Washington, D.C. You start because you, your program has blown up. God, God bless, right? You would have a hard time really knowing what's going on with the Sacramento Kings because mm-hmm. your hand's not on the ground anymore. Mm-hmm. You kind of you can hear things. You got still your connections, but you know it's something to be said though, D, that your hand is on the ground. You can kind of feel 
like, ah, like with the grant thing, I was telling, oh, I don't think grant's gonna end. You're like, ah, come on, I don't know. <laughs> you were like, ah, he's gone. I think he's gone. I'm inside, so I'm in Orlando. I'm like, there's no way, Damien, they're gonna fire this dude off of this off a tweet. Like, you, you got to be you smoking. Mm-hmm. Your hands on the ground. I'm not. My hands are. I'm in Orlando. All I can do is follow what social media is doing. Sure. Your hands on the ground, and you can kind of feel the movements a little bit. My hands on the table. You can tell I'm shifting. Mm-hmm. Kind of feel like ah, uh, that that shift don't feel the same. Mm-hmm. Nah, that's not. Uh, uh, I know what your eyes are telling you, but this you were telling me like it don't feel the same, Cam. Mm-hmm. You know, it don't feel the same. It's generally people like that who they operate from up here. And they stop putting their hand on the ground, and they can tell they can't tell you. When I'm involved with elections, I will tell somebody they were like, "Okay, Mike, I'm gonna give you a quick sidebar. I know this has nothing to do with nothing, but just trust me. Trust me, where I'm going with this. There's a person who ran for state attorney here in Central Florida. In March, she was polling in fourth. I backed her for state attorney." The person who was supposed to lead, like this person had name recognition, everybody knows him, has money, blah, blah, blah. They're like, oh, there's no way he's gonna win. My hand's on the ground. I said, I'm backing her because I think she can win. And I see how I see her pathway to victory. I saw things on the ground that were happening, that people up top still even a week out, two days from the election were like, he's still gonna win. I'm like, I don't know. Things are things are different down here. You know what I mean? Things are moving down here that you can't see. And I'm looking at them. She ended up smoking him in the election because she had more of a groundswell. Mm-hmm. She had things going on the ground that people up here weren't paying attention to. I'm not looking at the polls. I'm looking at what's going on on the ground. And things are moving for Biden on the ground. Things are moving at a place to where I'm like, if Trump wins this with unsteady footing, he's a, excuse my language, he's a bad motherfucker. Mm-hmm. I, if he wins this with, with this type of unsteady ground, like, I just don't, he, that dude's t- literally Teflon Don at that point. Now, is it a shame that with everything he's done he still has a chance, of course, right? But a white man like him should never have been in the White, white House anyway. What got him in there was his privilege, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's his privilege that keeps him, it keeps him upheld. Because if he looked with any sort of melanin in his skin, it's not, if his last name was Obama, he'd be polling in the 15s. Yeah. It wouldn't even be an election. Right. It'd be pulling in the 15s. He wouldn't be pulling in the 40s. Yeah. You know? And so that is where I think we have to look at. Don't look at the polls. Look at what do your eyes tell you? Mm-hmm. Close your eyes and, you know, listen with your ears. You know? See with your ears. What are, what are they telling you? What are you hearing in the streets? What do you hear? What are you seeing in the public? What do you feel? This doesn't feel like 2016, does it? When you close your eyes. No, it, it, it doesn't. It feels um, right. It does. It feels different. But again, it's that PTSD. It's that, right. am I really feeling this? Like, like is, and another thing that I wonder is, are, you know, 
I feel like there's a secret. <laughs> you brought up Grant. Like Grant has embraced the full MAGA now that he's been fired. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and so I, like, I wonder, I wonder how many secret Trump voters there are. I wonder how many quiet Trump voters there are. It, 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 like I, I battle like these different thoughts of, you know, you were talking about a split party a minute ago. Like, I, I wonder how many Republicans aren't going to vote for Donald just because they're sick of his shit. You know I what think, I mean? I think that's a, there's a lot of that. I was, and, and, and no matter what they say publicly, whether yeah. they're, you know, whether they support Trump publicly or they don't say anything publicly, I genuinely wonder what they're going to do privately. Just as I wonder about the private sector, what are these people who maybe they don't say anything? Maybe they say a lot of things, but what are they doing in private? I would say for me, and this is where I also feel, it's the feeling. I don't know. I feel for certain segments of white America who gave Donald Trump a shot. A certain segments of white America, I think they're exhausted. Sure. They're exhausted. And I don't even think they even like Biden like that. Sure. But they can feel, they can at least know, I turn out, turn off my TV at night and I don't have to worry about, I'm gonna wake up at 9 a.m. and there's like a 3 a.m. rage tweet tweet waiting for me. You or know 12. what I mean? Yeah. Or 12, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to worry about just the exhaustion of what this guy at 1600 Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Avenue is doing. I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. It's, I'm just it's like, they're tired. They're tired. And I think for a lot of people, when they go in that booth, they would just want to be tired. They're tired of being tired. Mm -hmm. They're tired. They just want some form of normalcy to government. Because even if you like what he's doing, you have to be exhausted by what he's doing. I think the last time we were together, you used the term controversy fatigue. Or, or, or it, it, like yeah, it's, yeah, it's controversy fatigue. Like he's done so much in the last four years, we've forgotten more things that he's done. All right. Yeah. We, I can't, we don't even know, like, well, I don't even know what he did a year ago. This but dude was impeached. I guess one of the most amazing things in the world, like this dude like, was impeached. He literally was impeached for literally committing a crime for lying. Yeah. For obstruction yeah. of justice. Yeah, right, he wasn't lying about head either. Like he was yeah. lying about lying something about, far more important to the country. Far, he was lying, he was yeah. literally for lying. Yeah. And, it's, I just think people were exhausted. And I will tell you, I don't know if it wasn't for COVID. I don't believe Biden would have would have a shot. I don't think Democrats would have a shot. I think COVID, in a weird way, has revealed him. COVID is like the per. It's, I, God forbid, no, I don't mean. But COVID is like literally the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. of an, I know what you mean. Ex, that sh, it exhumes. It exposed him. Yeah, it exposed yeah. Him for everything he is. His manipulation, his gaslighting, his lack of leadership, his lack of sympathy. It's like everything that he's, like, let's say you and I have been screaming for the last four years. This guy is fraudulent. This guy don't care. Mm. This guy doesn't lead. And it's like people are like, ah, the economy's doing great. Shut up. Right? And then COVID real, like, oh, he lies a lot. He manipulates. He doesn't care. Mm -hmm. he, egotistical he's narcissistic which are two different things mm -hmm. right you could be have an ego but not not a narcissist you know and he's everything and he's a terrible and he's transactional in his leadership everything about him and it's just like covid revealed that and i think for a lot of white people and i'm using that very specifically for a lot of white people they saw covid and it was like the first time they saw who he was 
and it broke their heart. And I think they're like, I, we can't do this. It's just like when George Floyd, because eight minutes and 47 seconds, people, we, we've been known mm-hmm. this is what it is. But for a lot of white people to like, damn, they really putting uh, knees on people's necks, huh? And we're like, that's what we've been telling y'all. Mm-hmm. We've been telling y'all they've been, they've been putting their literally, figuratively, literally, their, their knees on our neck. Our, they're, they're literally on our necks. We've been telling y'all, thank you for finally seeing this. And that's what the little, the sad part about eight minutes, 47 seconds was. It finally revealed to everybody what we've been talking about, that this shit ain't right, what they've been doing on the streets. This shit got to change. And I think COVID was that for Trump. It finally revealed what everybody else was known. And I don't think he survives that. Man, we got 18 days before the election. You down to do a couple more of these because we've got a lot more that we got to talk about. All I do is talk politics, even to myself in the mirror. That's my man, Kamara Williams. I'm Damian Barling. We appreciate you so much for tuning in. We'll be back. It may not, it may not, we we may be back earlier than next week. Uh, Just stay tuned in. Uh, We're going to drop a number of episodes over the course of the next 18 days. We appreciate you for tuning in here to the podcast on the Be Heard podcast platform.